welcome to the Hand in Hand Show. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, a part of Stroke Focus. We're here today for our second interview with Elise. Hey, Elise. Um, Hi, good to talk to you. We had a lot of fun the last time going through just the basics. What we're going to talk about today is it, it's still, it's something that you're experiencing. So you knew or, and know now more firsthand about this also. So we were going to start with the question, what can a survivor or a survivor's family member do to ensure they're receiving high quality therapy? That's a big one. It's been brought out to me by different members on Stroke Survivor Facebook groups, which that's how I found you, or you found me really, I suppose. One of the reasons that I've been reaching out on those groups is to get a better understanding of survivors' experiences and their families' experiences, because I, I wanted to know, you know, where are the issues that other people are seeing? Are they the same that I witnessed with my own you know, with my grandmother-in-law or is it, has it been the same? And that was one of the questions that came up when I said, you know, make sure that you're a family member or that you are getting high quality care. And someone said, oh, well, how do we know? How are we supposed to know if we're getting high quality therapy? And so some of the things that you can do either, it may come down to your family, a caregiver, a friend, if you're in that kind of acute phase where you're still in the hospital or in the inpatient rehab side of things. We talked about that advocacy, I think last time and and how important it is if you're able to have someone to help advocate for you and ensure that you're receiving that type of care. But some of the things that you can do, and I, I say this from the therapy perspective, is Ask your therapist why they're having you do the things that they're asking you to do. And regardless of what setting you're in, they should be able to give you a valid explanation, connect it to your stroke recovery, and also connect it back to specific movements that they might be trying to facilitate, or they might be able to give you a better understanding of the research or the thought process behind the certain types of techniques that they're using. But I think sometimes therapists, we can get stuck in our brains and it's like, we know it up here, but the explanation piece, depending, maybe we've had a really busy day. Maybe, you know, the person that we're working with is the last person for, for the day on our schedule. And you know, our brain is just like, so we just ask you <laughs> to do X, Y, or Z, but it's really important to explain why we're, why we're asking somebody to, to do that specific thing and how it relates to stroke recovery. I would also, especially for occupational therapy, anything that they're asking you to do, ask how it's going to help you functionally. Because as an occupational therapist, you know, I, I take great pride in my career. I love what I do. I love my profession. The ultimate goal for occupational therapy is to help improve people's independence, level of functioning, quality of life in the things, the occupations that they need to do day to day. So if we're asking you to do specific exercises, 
we should always be able, as a therapist, we should always be able to relate that back to how that's going to help you functionally, what that's going to help you do in your day-to-day life. So yes, asking your therapist, how does this actually help me functionally? Exercises are good and they're really necessary, but how does that translate? How is it applicable? And then another thing you can do, if you want to get really creative here, ask your, ask your therapist about the latest research in stroke rehab. Be like, hey, what, what have you learned lately? What do you know? What's, what's going on? What's the what's what with stroke rehab? So the problem with that is we don't remember to do that because <laughs> we have a brain injury going on. Make a list, write it down. And so if there are, you know, if stroke survivors are listening to this and these are some points that you want to try to incorporate, whether you're an outpatient or home health or wherever you are in your journey and you're still getting therapy or you have a family member who's getting therapy or a friend, write it down, just write down the list and say, okay, these are the things that I'm going to ask next time. And then, then the struggle is, do you remember to put your list somewhere you're going to remember to find it? <laughs> that was going to be my next thing because I lose my lists all the time. But I want to tell you, my phone has everything. I made lists. So if I needed to go to the grocery store, the whole list was right there. So I, I don't know, maybe that's more like speech therapy, but because well, that a lot of oh. they used to, you know, do, but one of the other things I just thought about that is that's also letting me know that I have a personal trainer I see twice a week can tell me why I'm doing something because I'll say this hurts and things hurt different places than normal people. I can't explain that, but so he'll say, now, do you feel that in your back? And I'm like, no, but I feel it at the upper portion of, you know, and then, and then he'll go and he'll feel where it's supposed to be moving and he'll say well you're moving them and I'll say but how do I know because I don't there's no feeling there or whatever and then he explains the whole process and he said yes but it will hurt in your arms in certain places because they're pulling on this so that goes to the same thing with your therapists no matter what they're doing if they can explain why that's a good thing and I don't think I had any bad therapists because they usually could tell me And usually they told me as I was doing something. So it's like, why am I on my hands and knees? I can barely hold myself up. And they said, well, because you lost all your upper body strength and this we're, we're working on this or, you know, why am I using this? I don't know what it was. It was like a machine that did something with your arm, you know, where you moved it. I don't think it was like the bicycle one, but it was another one. And it was my occupational therapist. And I think speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy all work together. Some repeat what was done in the in another, you know, session with the other one. And I never realized that, you know, like I thought speech therapy was getting your, you know, not stuttering or not having a speech impediment. The cookie swallow, which I don't know if they even still do those anymore. And then occupational therapy, I just thought. They helped you get to work. I didn't know that it involved all the stuff that it involves. And then, of course, physical therapy is what it says. It's physical therapy. So, but they do all work together in different ways. I think that's a really good 
explanation of how do you know if you have a good occupational, physical or speech therapist? Well, and I think to your point, you know, you're you're definitely right there. There will be places that we overlap and there are misconceptions about some of the therapy you might get. I will tell you the number of times that I've walked into somebody's room and said, hi, I'm your I'm Elise. I'm your occupational therapist. I don't need a job. I'm retired. And that's understandable because you, if somebody says an occupational therapist, you, your brain doesn't automatically go to, and I'm doing air quotes here, the occupations of everyday life. You know, you, you do think about a working job position. So part of also having good quality, high quality therapy is someone who's going to explain the difference to you and that they're not here to find you a job, but to help you do what you need to do on a daily basis. And same with speech language pathology and you know speech therapy is they do a lot of work with cognition and um, helping to remediate that cognition. So right. yeah, physical therapy is nice because it's kind of just that. They have an easier time to explain things. Well, Switching to outpatient is different too. It's and I think that's an important thing to recognize and also note that you can ask any of those questions that we talked about you know, to make sure that you're getting good quality therapy at whatever level of care that you're receiving therapy, whether that's in, like you were saying, maybe when you're in the inpatient rehab hospital, you really need someone there to help advocate for you, depending on kind of where you're at. But if you're moving into the home health or outpatient phase, you know, you may still need people to help you advocate, or you may be able to do more of that on your own, you know, by that point. But yeah, therapy does does look different in different settings, for sure. And it depends too, in outpatient therapy, what you do at home also, because they usually give you things that you can do at home. And you really should, guys, you really should work those at home. Because if you're only doing a couple of days, maybe three days a week, even just a partial of what you're doing in outpatient therapy, doing it at home, I realize now more than ever that I should have even worked harder when I was at home than I did. But, you know, at that point, I was so tired. And that goes back to our talk on neuroplasticity last mm-hmm. time we talked that good. You're, to me, I see it as therapy is kind of giving you that guidance whenever you go in. But to achieve real neuroplastic changes, it needs to be repetitious. It has to be every day and it has to be intense on a daily basis. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be doing it for five hours every day, right? But it does mean that, you know, the, the importance of following through with that is really how you're going to make progress and see changes. So this is a big one because teletherapy has come into play over the last oh, 10 to 15 years. And I learned about it because the office that I work in work critical care intensivists and the doctors there started using teletherapy and they were one of the first. Now they use it in hospital settings so they can see into an ICU and watch the patients there for maybe smaller hospitals that do not have intensive care uh, specialists. How do you use teletherapy for stroke survivors? Especially now with the pandemic, you, you were kind of talking about how teletherapy started to be kind of introduced or telehealth in general, where internal medicine practitioners or doctors are using this. And teletherapy, I think, is still in its relative infancy, but it is growing. And I think that the pandemic has 
really accelerated teletherapy growth because um, I was just talking to a former classmate and friend of mine who works for a rehabilitation hospital in Tennessee, a, a, not in Chattanooga, a different one. She reached out to me because, and I'll get into this a little bit down the road, but I have actually started a teletherapy private practice just for stroke survivors. But she reached out to me and said, I am having so many people go home without home health or without scheduling outpatient because they're too scared to either have people in their home or they're too scared to go to a clinic right now because they're, of course, in such a vulnerable position health-wise. And then we've got this pandemic raging. So some people feel safe enough to go into a clinic. And I know clinics are doing everything that they can to make things as safe as possible right now. But still, some people don't feel comfortable doing that. I know I have seen teletherapy, like I've seen just like Googling it, that it's, that it's been growing and that it's becoming a service that more therapy clinics are offering. And I think, I really do think that it is going to be the future, not necessarily, it's not necessarily for someone who is like in that acute stage. Like if you need to go to an inpatient rehab hospital following a stroke, of course, that's where you need to go because you're not going to get the intensity, you know, three hours of therapy a day with multiple different types of therapies in a teletherapy setting. But I see teletherapy as a resource for survivors maybe if they're kind of either in that home health level or outpatient level kind of of care that they've kind of gotten to that point where medically they're stable, they've got some things that they'd still like to work on. Maybe they, like you said before, that they, they have trouble getting to and from a clinic. It's physically, maybe it's really hard to get in and out of a car, walk, or even transfer in and out of a wheelchair to get, you know, into a clinic depending on kind of where they're at. So I think with the appropriate setup, I try to think about all aspects, like in my, in my teletherapy practice that I've got good lighting. Um, I try to wear clothes that have contrast so people can see when I'm moving or how I'm moving. I have a second camera angle. So if I'm showing exercises or activities that I'm asking somebody to do, that they can get an appropriate view and there have actually been some really promising research studies that have come out recently showing that teletherapy specifically for stroke survivors is as effective as traditional in-person outpatient therapy. So it's really cool. It's really cool. And, and that way, like you were saying, Cam, survivors who may live out in rural communities who may not otherwise have access to these outpatient therapy clinics or even home health care. They can have access to that high quality therapy from their own home as long as they have internet access and a camera on their computer. They can use their phone with a smartphone. So those are the real stipulations as well as, you know, if somebody does have maybe a speech or a cognitive issue you might need someone there with you, even during those teletherapy sessions, just to make sure that you're getting the most benefit because it's, you know, it's, if you're having speech issues and we can't communicate effectively, that would definitely cause, you know, you wouldn't be getting what you need from that. So right. that's the only kind of like stipulation I put on it is, you know, if you've got the speech or 
cognitive issues still going on that, you know, maybe having a family member or a caregiver or a friend there with you, you know, come over to your house for your teletherapy appointments. And then two, you know, I, I work a lot, especially as an OT. I know we try not to split the body up, but we kind of sometimes tend to do that between OT and PT. You know, I work a lot with more of the arm and hand. And sometimes, you know, if somebody has really limited movement or a lot of spasticity, having someone there to kind of be my hands can be helpful. So I can walk you through what movements are helpful or exercises or stretches or range of motion is going to be beneficial. But if you aren't able to kind of self-range, it may be good to have somebody there with you. But I really do. I think it's the future. I, I think a lot more people, I mean, myself included, like I much rather now would just have a telehealth appointment with my doctor than driving somewhere and waiting in the waiting room. And I don't think we're going to like, as a society, I don't think we're going to backtrack from this. I think in-person therapy or in-person medical visits, well, will, there will always be some need for that. Of course there will be. But I think that for a large percentage of the population, if they can do telemedicine or teletherapy visits, like why not? And I know yeah. that there's even been a huge push for tele, like mental health therapy, like counseling. And that's just great because it, especially depending on where you, where you live, it can be really hard to get access to that. So, well, and on that note, I wanted to say too, we talked a little bit about holistic care last week mm -hmm. and to tie that into teletherapy. So in, in my practice, I don't just do like arm exercises or activities because my, my, the whole point of why I wanted to start it is so that I can focus on the whole person and focus on aspects like sleep and mental health and fatigue and all of those things that, you know, sometimes go overlooked with stroke survivors. And teletherapy offers a really beautiful way to do that. You know, you can give someone, you know, a sleep diary or a fatigue journal, or, you know, you can have, you can still have that back and forth and have somebody log those things out, or even, you know, writing down symptoms of mental health or creating like a stress management plan. And those are things that I've done, been able to do really successfully using a teletherapy platform and specifically using, like I use an electronic medical record called Simple Practice. And that has a, it has a client portal built in where I can share documents with the people that I'm working with and they can do what they need to do and return them. And, you know, we can talk about them next time. Anyway, I just, I think it's fascinating. I think teletherapy is amazing and I am all about utilizing it. It is exciting. Going on to the next subject... What types of resources are you developing? Are you looking into? Or are you starting? Because that was one of the questions. Teletherapy is one of those, the big one. But what I have been finding, again, reaching out to stroke survivor groups on social media, what I'm trying to do is find ways to provide free and low-cost resources for survivors. Because I recognize that not everybody is going to be able to afford direct one-on-one -on -one care. Like, so with my teletherapy, because I've done travel therapy, I'm licensed in Tennessee, Georgia, 
North Carolina, California, and Oregon. So I can technically, anyone living in those states, um, we just have to get a physician's referral typically, unless you're in Oregon. Then from there, pretty much we can work together. However, I only currently have am credentialed with different insurance companies and Medicare Part B in Tennessee, just because that process is a pain in the patootie. I've said before, though, you know, if I have enough, you know, if there were a bunch of people from California who are like, oh, yeah, I really want to do this teletherapy thing, then I'd be like, okay, I probably should get credentialed with different insurances in California. But all that said is, you know, people may not be able to afford that direct one-on-one teletherapy care. So my goal is not only to have that resource available, but also those free and low-cost resources. So I do a blog post weekly on my website. My goal is to provide base-level education on just like types of strokes. What happens when the location of a stroke changes in your brain? And then going off into treatment resources. So like in the next week or so, I'm actually hoping to post up a free mental practice motor imagery recording that people can listen to and practice motor imagery stuff in their, in their mind. What is that? So mental practice or motor imagery, it's called both things, but it, it's a, an evidence-based strategy that when used in conjunction with other traditional rehab strategies like exercises and activities can actually help to enhance recovery. And pretty much it's been studied a lot in sports psychology. And that's where a lot of the research started on it. Um, But basically it is picturing in your mind and practicing in your mind a specific activity or exercise that you're that you're trying to get better at or that you'd like to do again. That maybe if you're having like script that I'm recording, I I actually did this for one of my clients, um, was making a bowl of cereal. So it's, there are specific models that you use. You want to create an environment where, you know, somebody would close their eyes. And then like with me, I would be doing the recording of very specific, how you're moving your affected arm and hand. If that's, if that's where, you know, that would be specifically for an affected upper extremity and how you're reaching into the refrigerator, feeling the cold air. It's, it's encompassing every aspect of what that environment might feel like, um, what those specific movements feel like. But what they found in research is that actually picturing that and walking through that process in your mind activates your brain to think that it's kind of doing that. So it's still working on rebuilding those neural pathways like you would if you were actually doing the task. Pretty, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. and it's no cost. Like you can do that anywhere. So. That's interesting right. because as you were saying that, you know, when I do the exercises and, and Sean, who's the trainer, tells me what to do, I have to stop and I have to picture what this looks like before I can do it. And once I've pictured it, and sometimes he tries to hurry me along and I'm like, nope, nope, wait, I (laughs) I have to think about this. And, you know, I go through the process of what is it I'm doing? Or I look at him when he tells me to do something and I'm like, I don't understand. And he physically has to show me and then I have to picture me doing it and then do it. So 
and I get it done then, but it, it sometimes takes a minute. So I guess this is kind of what you're saying. I hadn't thought about using a bowl of cereal and, and thinking, you know, about, cause that's a lot of work, baby. I mean, that's like, you know, you, you have to get your bowl and your snout and, and then you have to get your cereal and your milk and the milk. Yeah. Heavy. Oh it's yeah. Heavy. Yeah, it is. Um, unless you don't drink a lot of milk and then you just have one of those little bitty containers. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot to that. What it, does it need sugar? Does it, so you do have a Facebook page, you have a blog, your website is your name, which is, is. Elise Newland, which is dot com, And your blog is the same thing, but it, after the dot com, you have a backslash and articles. And then your Facebook page is, of course, your name. I have a lot of things that I have planned. <laughs> so I am, I'm currently working on an ebook that's kind of like a basics of what stroke survivors need when they get home, like understanding timeline, managing expectations, understanding different types of strokes. You know, it's not going to be a super in-depth. It's just, it's meant to cover the basics, how to advocate for yourself at the doctor, making sure that you're heard, making sure you're taking care of your mental health, because that's really important, especially in the beginning. Absolutely. I'm hoping that that will be up within the next month. I'm also working on starting a YouTube channel so I can show people exercises and put all these different things out there as a free resource for people. I want to make sure that survivors have a place that they can go where they're, they know that they're going to be getting good, high-quality information, and that's either free or low-cost. I'm also working on building out possibly some uh, online courses for for low costs that maybe I specific you know because YouTube is a little bit more of like a short form platform where you're you're not really going to be doing a half hour video most of the time on YouTube they're going to be I don't know five ten minutes maybe but maybe some courses that will go more into depth on explaining neuroplasticity if people are if that's something they're interested in how that impacts recovery certain exercises to do for gross motor, you know, dexterity, fine motor coordination, stuff to do with spasticity. I mean, there are, there are so many things that I've got in my brain, mental health aspects. I mean, it's all, it's all in my brain. I just, I'm trying to get it out places. I'm going to invite you back again. I hope everyone has enjoyed this, this second. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. And I hope everyone has enjoyed this. And I'm going to say good night from the Hand in Hand show from me, myself, Cam, Stroke Focus. So as I always say, see you on the radio. 